This is episode 323 of the AWS podcast, released on July 21, 2019. Podcast confirmed. Welcome to the official AWS podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the AWS Podcast. Simon Lesha here with you. Great to have you back, and I'm joined by my update partner, Nikki Stone, who is the upgraded version of Nikki Klein. Welcome, <laughs> Nikki. Congratulations. You got married. Thank you very much. Hi, everyone. Happy to be back. Good to have you back. And, yes, yeah, so so for the avoidance of doubt, Nikki Stone is also Nikki Klein, and Nikki Klein is Nikki Stone. Well, I'm wondering, is this some sort of superhero alter ego type thing that's going on here? Have we uncovered your true identity I don't know. Maybe you have. I mean, Nikki Stone kind of sounds like a famous name. It does. It's, it's got that sort of answer. Yeah, it's, it's very close to Nick Stone. Isn't that the Avengers guy? Anyway, I'm getting confused. <laughs> <laughs> Let's Happy get to be confused with a celebrity. Yeah, exactly. It. It's fine. Let's get into some updates here. So there has been a lot going on. So we have a raft of updates. In fact, I think we're well over a hundred updates on this show. So we're going to dive deep on a few things and summarize a lot of things, I think is the, the safe way to put it. But we're going to go deep on the ones we think are the coolest. Yeah, but it was just totally our personal preferences versus any actual scientific method, but uh, <laughs> it works. So let's start with our first topic. Our first topic is storage. And we're going to actually start with the opportunity for you to save some money. So you can now optimize costs with Amazon EFS infrequent access lifecycle management. Now, these are policies that will automatically move files into the EFS infrequent access storage class and let you save up to 85% as your access patterns change. Now, what this is really useful for is for those files that aren't updated every day and you can choose different age off policies. So 14 days, 30, 60, 90 days, etc. And you have lots of flexibility about how you configure it and how you use it. So if you're a EFS user, this is a good one to save some money. Speaking of different file systems though, if you use Amazon FSX for Windows File Server, you can now directly use your self-managed Active Directory for that, for the uh, access control, etc. And you can also now use a single AWS managed AD with file systems that are across VPCs or accounts. So this is really useful for that consolidation concept. Then another storage update is the AWS Storage Gateway, which now supports Amazon VPC endpoints with private link. So if you want all your traffic to go across privately managed connections, you can use that component with private link. And another storage update is that File Gateway now has options to enforce encryption and signing for SMB shares. So this means you can enforce that encryption and signing on client requests or use client negotiated defaults. So this really helps you meet your own organizational requirements. And finally, from a data perspective, we have a whole bunch of new AWS public data sets. These include data sets from Facebook, from Yale, from Allen Institute for Brain Science, NOAA, et cetera. And these are really useful big data sets that you can use in your own research, in your own work, et cetera. There's things like uh, integrated surface databases from NOAA. There's a Yale Carnegie Mellon University Berkeley object and model set. There's the Allen Brain Observatory has over 100 terabytes of neurophysiology data, which includes some mapping of tens of thousands of neurons in the mouse visual system. So very cool stuff to play with. But if you're going to have all this data, you probably need some compute, don't you, Nikki? Absolutely. Moving on to the topic of compute, Amazon EC2 Instant Connect has launched. It is a simple and secure way to connect to your instances using SSH. Um, So you can control SSH access to your instances using IAM, as well as audit connection requests with AWS CloudTrail events. In addition, you can leverage your existing SSH keys and further enhance your security posture by generating one-time SSH keys each time an authorized user connects. And moving on, Amazon EC2 M5, R5, and C5 instances have released new instance sizes. So for M5 and R5, they're now available in 8x large and 16x large sizes. And the C5 instances are now available
available in 12X large, 24X large, and bare metal sizes. Amazon ECS now supports additional resource level permissions and tag-based access controls. So ECS customers now have additional options for controlling API access to ECS resources. Using tag-based control, they can create IAM policies that allow or deny ECS actions based on the tags applied to those services, as well as they can create IAM policies that allow or deny the ability to create, update, delete, or describe specific services and task sets with those resource level permissions. ECS now offers improved capabilities for local testing. The new ECS CLI tool has added improved capabilities for testing ECS task definitions locally. So now the ECS CLI will convert your task definition to a Docker Compose file, which you can run locally and test before you deploy, saving time um, on development and iteration. And then the AWS Container Service has also launched Fluent Bit plugins. AWS Fluent Bit is a container image pre-installed with CloudWatch and Amazon Kinesis Data Firehose. So now you can basically route logs to multiple destinations with Fluent Bit, Fluent Bit such as CloudWatch, S3, Redshift, and Amazon Elasticsearch Service. So it's a multi-platform log processor and forwarder. You can collect data and logs from different sources and send them to multiple destinations in your AWS account. And there's a lot going on in that container world. Amazon EKS now supports Kubernetes version 1.13, ECR Private Link, and also Kubernetes Pod Security policies. So because Kubernetes is a rapidly evolving platform. There's lots of feature releases and bug fixes. So this latest version lets you do things like use ECR private link to securely pull images to run your applications, lets you set new pod security policies to validate pod creation and update requests against a set of rules, which is really important for compliance. Some of the other things include the beta launch of uh, Kubernetes dry run, taint-based evictions, raw block volume support, lots and lots of new capabilities there. The other nice thing is that the AWS VPC CNI version 1.5.0 is now default for Amazon EKS clusters. Now, this is important because it improves the behavior of something called the warm IP target parameter. And what this means is that any IPs that are not assigned to pods will be returned back to the subnet. This is really important because it lowers the overall address utilization across the cluster. And there's a whole bunch of other bug fixes, et cetera. You know, networking is hard. We need to get it right. So this is a really useful plugin. If you're using Great. Lambda, there's uh, some new enhanced Lambda at edge monitoring within the Amazon CloudFront console. So there's a new monitoring dashboard, which makes it much easier to find the information you want. A great streamlined distribution metrics view. So you can see all the Lambda at Edge 5XX errors. Let's face it, they're the ones you want to look for to see if things are going very wrong. So it makes it very easy to find any problems that are happening in your particular Edge-based function and a far more detailed errors view as well. The AWS Lambda console also now has recent invocations using CloudWatch Log Insights. And we'll talk more about the Log Insights component a bit later on. But the nice thing is it just makes it easy to find what's being used and where very quickly. And finally, latest release of AWS ThinkBox Dead line 10.0.27 has a resource tracker as well. This supports a whole lot of new bug fixtures and capabilities. The resource tracker is a feature that monitors the health of instances started by Deadline in your AWS account. It's designed to protect AWS users from unintentionally consuming EC2 spot instance hours by detecting and shutting down instances that have critical errors. So if you're not doing useful work, it goes away. Moving on to the topic of networking, NLB now supports UDP protocol. So Elastic Load Balancing will now support UDP in addition to the uh, already supported TCP protocol. With this launch, you can deploy services that rely on the UDP protocol, such as auth, authorization, logging, DNS, and IoT. And then also NLB offers multi-protocol listeners, which allow you to run apps that rely on both protocols behind the same network load balancer. A lot of customers so have wanted this for a while, haven't they? Yeah, send traffic to either TCP or UDP on the same port behind one single NLB. It's pretty cool. This is another big one, Amazon VPC traffic mirroring for Amazon EC2 instances. This was actually launched at 
at Reinforce in Boston, which is AWS's first security conference. Basically, what this will do is allow you to replicate the network traffic from an EC2 instance in your VPC and forward that traffic to security and monitoring appliances for use cases such as content inspection, threat monitoring, and troubleshooting. It actually does this traffic mirroring without affecting performance, which is incredible. And so then you can basically monitor your traffic from somewhere else and make sure that you're getting all kinds of notifications and error alerts on different things coming in and out of your of your VPC. AWS Parallel Cluster now supports Elastic Fabric Adapter. Customers using the Parallel Cluster can set up their HPC clusters and take advantage of the Elastic Fabric Adapter. EFA is a network device that accelerates HPC applications using the message passing interface, and it brings scalability, flexibility, and elasticity of cloud to tightly coupled HPC apps. And lastly, AWS Direct Connect launches first location in Italy. So it is now live in Milano, which is the first location for AWS Direct Connect in Italy. Customers in Milan can now locally establish a dedicated network connection from their premises to AWS. And, and Nikki, did you do the? Did you volunteer to do the site inspection at Milano to say, you know, I, I have to go to Italy. I have to go and check out, you know, if it's a suitable location. Of course, I did <laughs> immediately. My boss approved. Exactly. Yeah. Time. Try the try the try the gelato, all that sort of stuff. <laughs> I ate gelato and made sure that Direct Connect worked in, in Italy. We'll call that a win. Amazon CloudFront now has seven new edge locations in North America, Europe, and Australia. Four of them are in North America, including Houston, two more in Texas, another in Hillsborough, Oregon, and Toronto, Ontario. And uh, two more locations added in Europe, in Manchester, England, and Zurich, Switzerland, and another one in good old Sydney, Australia. So that continues to Woo. grow as well. Yes, exactly. And you can now add endpoint policies to interface endpoints for AWS services. So an Amazon VPC endpoint policy is an AWS IAM resource policy that you can attach to an endpoint, which you create or modify the endpoint. So basically setting the rules of what you want to do. Now, if you don't attach a policy when you create an endpoint, a default policy gets attached for you that allows full access to the service. The Amazon VPC endpoint policy defines which principle can perform which actions on which resources. And an endpoint policy does not override or replace IAM user policies or self or service specific policies. It's a separate policy for controlling access from the endpoint to the specific services. So things like uh, code build, code commit, ELB, API, SQS, SNS, CloudWatch logs, API gateway, SageMaker, notebooks, etc. Uh, support it, have a look at that. But security is a good thing. So we want to maintain a good security posture, which is a multi-level thing. Let's talk databases. Now, Amazon Aurora with Postgres compatibility now supports serverless, which is pretty exciting. So this is a new deployment option that automatically starts, scales and shuts down an Amazon Aurora database. And it offers database capacity without the need to provision, scale and manage any database services. So this is really useful when you have uh, workloads that are intermittent or spiky. It obviously ties very well into if you're writing your code in a serverless way, it means your database supports that without having to have kind of like a, a, a big pre-provisioned um, database instance there. It'll automatically start, scale, shut down, start up again in seconds. It's pretty impressive. This is now available in the US East North Virginia, US East Ohio, US West Oregon, EU Ireland and Asia Pacific Tokyo regions and we'll come to additional regions in the coming year. Amazon RDS has more announcements. They now support storage auto-scaling. I think this one is really cool because basically auto-scaling will automatically scale the storage capacity in response to your workload with zero downtime. So previously you had to manually provision storage capacity based on application demands and what you anticipated as they were. Um, and under-provisioning could result in downtime and over-provisioning could result in underutilized resources and higher costs. But now with auto-scaling, you can simply set your desired maximum storage limit and auto-scaling will take care of the rest. It's kind of a big deal because when a database runs out of storage, it's game over for the application, isn't it? I thought this one was a huge deal for yeah, a lot of customers. 
because I, I definitely would be turning it on with a couple clicks. A couple of quick version updates. Amazon RDS has compatibility checks for upgrades from MySQL 5.7 to MySQL 8.0. When you're jumping lots of versions, upgrades can go awry. This will help you detect those. And Amazon RDS for PostgreSQL now supports minor versions 11.4, 10.9, 1.6.14, 9.5. 0.18 and 9.4.23, which means you can choose the one that fits you well. Amazon Aurora with Postgres SQL compatibility now supports cluster cache management. So what this means is that there's a failover with one of your clusters. You can specify the failover target. Cluster cache management keeps the data in the designated reader's cache synchronized with the data in the read-write instance's cache. And if that failover occurs, the designated reader is promoted to be the new read-write instance and workloads benefit immediately from the data in its cache. So this is great for failover, uh, failover situations. Amazon Aurora with PostgreSQL compatibility now also supports data import from Amazon S3. So now you can import data stored in S3 into a PostgreSQL table from your AWS bucket. The new extension AWS underscore S3 has been added to perform the import operation and you can import any data format that is supported by the PostgreSQL copy command. Amazon Aurora also supports cloning across AWS accounts. Uh, so database cloning is much faster than restoring a snapshot and requires no additional space at the time of creation. So this is really important if you have a production database, a development database, and a testing database. Now you can just clone your databases for quick and efficient use cases in every single environment. Amazon RDS Oracle now supports Z1D instance types. So Amazon EC2 Z1D instances deliver a sustained all-core frequency of up to 4.0 gigahertz, the fastest of any cloud instance. So the combination of high compute performance and high memory makes Z1D instances ideal for certain relational database workloads with high high per core licensing costs. And Amazon RDS for Oracle now supports Oracle Application Express version 19.1. And Amazon ElastiCache now launches reader endpoints for Redis. So now you can use a single reader endpoint to connect to your Redis read replicas. So until today, you had to manage multiple endpoints at the application level. And I've done that myself and it's not fun. It's a classic undifferentiated heavy lifting for those of you who are listening for that phrase. So now what you can do is you can have the reader endpoint split the incoming connections to the endpoint between all read replicas in the Redis cluster, which makes life much, much easier. If you're an Amazon Document DB with MongoDB compatibility user, it now supports the stopping and starting of clusters. So this allows you to make better use from a cost perspective, particularly for those test and dev environments. Now, remembering that Amazon Document DB is a fast, scalable, highly available and fully managed document database service that supports MongoDB workloads. And of course, now that you can start and stop those clusters, probably importantly, we also have a cluster deletion protection as well. So you don't get a little bit too excited on that. So that is now also supported on that particular platform. If however, your network proclivities move into the more sort of networky, social graphy type network database types, Amazon Net Neptune now lets you publish audit logs to Amazon CloudWatch logs. So you can use this to maintain continuous visibility into database activity in your Amazon Neptune databases. So for example, you could set up an alarm to say, hey, if there's an unwanted change being made or something that's not going quite right, you can find out that very, very quickly. And moving on to more of the uh, sort of NoSQL style of databases, Amazon DynamoDB now supports deleting a global secondary index before it finishes building. I'm pretty excited about this because sometimes I do make mistakes. <laughs> We've all sat there going, wow, I made a really boneheaded mistake. I've made a typo. I've clicked create and now I have to wait for it to, cre to create, then delete it, then recreate it. Well, no longer, no more. And then uh, Amazon DynamoDB Nest supports up to 25 unique items and four meg of data per transactional request. So you remember that transactions was made available a while back to let you simplify your code, support workflows and business logic that requires adding, updating or deleting multiple items as a single all or nothing operation, something we're familiar with as ACID operations. Now you can do 25 
25 unique items and four meg of data in each of those transactions, which is pretty cool. It's really cool remembering that uh, if you're using transactions, they either all succeed or all fail. So if you're sending 25 updates at a time, 25 could fail, uh, which is great to keep all of your data in sync. Moving on to the topic of migration, cloud indoor migration is now available at no charge. If you're not familiar, it simplifies, expedites, and reduces the cost of cloud migration by offering a highly automated lift and shift solution. And you can use cloud indoor migration to quickly rehost a large number of machines to AWS without worrying about compatibility, performance disruptions, or long cutover windows. And so now it is available for free. There is a new AWS ISV workload migration program. So now if you have an ISV workload and you can move it from on-prem to AWS with this new workload migration program, and it helps customers move to AWS and achieve business goals and accelerate their cloud journey. And the AWS Migration Hub now has support for service link roles. So what this allows us to do is use a new type of IAM role that allows you to easily delegate permissions to AWS services. Now, if you're not familiar with Migration Hub, it's a single location to discover your on-premises infrastructure and track the progress of application migrations across multiple AWS and partner solutions. Now, service linked roles are predefined by Migration Hub and include all the permissions that the service requires to use the other AWS services on your behalf, such as the permissions that Migration Hub might need to use the AWS application discovery service for storing on-premises discovering data. Now, unlike a normal IAM role, you can't delete the service linked role if it's in use by Migration Hub. Now, this is really handy because it avoids you inadvertently revoking Migration Hub's required permissions to your resources. Also, it helps you with authorizing those migration tools as well. So for example, you could have the service linked role allowing the AWS database migration service to send migration status to Migration Hub without having to set up any additional permissions. Basically, it lets you get up and running faster without having to do anything fancy. Now, Nikki, we're going to move on to the next topic, which is a massive one because there's been a lot going on in this world and you've been very closely involved in this. Yes, developer tools. So hit us with the, with the first of the many updates we're going to share. The AWS Toolkit for VS Code is now generally available. I've been using it for months now and now it is GA. So if you're not familiar, it is a, an extension that you can install in your VS Code IDE and basically launch, create, deploy, do all kinds of things for serverless applications. It does leverage the SAM model model behind it to define and configure those resources. And you can also step through code that you create using uh, the AWS toolkit. So that's incredible. So now you can step through your serverless applications in VS Code, which is awesome. The next one is even better. I think it's even bigger. (laughs) So if you're not familiar with the CDK, also known as the AWS Cloud Development Kit, it is now generally available in TypeScript and Python. It will be generally available in Java and CHCR coming soon. But right now, those are in developer preview. So if if you know what CloudFormation is, We've always called it infrastructure as code, but it wasn't really code because it was in JSON or YAML. It's really just like data transport formats. But now AWS CDK, you can say infrastructure is code, which is a really cool thing to say. So you can actually write the languages that you know and love to create AWS resources. And then the CDK will create a CloudFormation template for you or deploy it as well and create those resources using the CloudFormation provisioning engine. It is very cool because you can build a lot more sophistication in and it's like I say, it's just that that familiar environment. I mean, I'm a bit of a Python person these days. I'm sure I'll change in the future. And it was so familiar to just jump on the tools, build something and out it comes. And quite frankly, if I never have to use a a parentheses or a, a curly braces again in JSON, 
that will be good. <laughs> well, there's other things to think about here, like the fact that you can for loop multiple yes. creations. So you have to create 25 buckets. Yeah. You do not need to find 25 buckets in your CloudFormation template. You can just wrap a for loop in one line of code. Ah, loops. Who would have thought, hey? <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> loops to create infrastructure. Mm. Also, if you just compare some CDK to a CloudFormation template, it is incredible. Uh, yeah. I looked at a cloud a CDK file for how to create ECS with one container running, and we created the CloudFormation information template from that uh, from that code and it was like over 1000 lines Whoa. of json and the code was about four lines so it's incredible nice. what it can do. Efficiency is a good thing. CodeStar team have been very busy. So the AWS Code Commit now supports two additional merge strategies and merge conflict resolutions. So you can do things like squash merges and three-way merges. There's a conflict resolution editor in the console so you can manually resolve things as well if you need to. So lots of choices there. AWS Code Commit now also supports resource tagging, which we know is important to be able to filter and view different things in your environment. And AWS Code Build now has support for polyglot builds. So previously you could only specify a single programming language runtime in your code build managed images. Uh, in order to perform a polyglot build, you either had to rely on a self-managed build or fiddle about in your runtime inline for your build spec, etc. Now you simply specify one or more programming language versions in your build spec for your build needs. And this is made possible using a concept called runtime versions. And with runtime versions, you can specify which major version of the runtime should be enabled for your build. So this is pretty cool. Speaking of cool, Nikki, uh, the Amplify team been a little bit busy. They have been busy. A couple uh, updates for the Amplify console. First, they've updated their default build image with the SAM CLI, so it is now included. And they've also added custom container support. So now you can swap out the default container with your own build environment. And at build time, Amplify will retrieve the Docker image from the container registry specified in the project config and use the environment to compile your source code, run your tests, and deploy your app. The Amplify console has also announced manual deploys for static web hosting. So now uh, you can basically upload a folder from your desktop or link to a zip file stored in an S3 bucket to host a web app. And the Amplify framework has now added AWS Lambda triggers for events and auth and storage categories. So previously, you had to manually configure if you wanted a Lambda to trigger based on a cognito action or a storage action. Now, Amplify framework has added it. So now you can trigger it automatically using the Amplify framework. So you can do things like if somebody logs in, uh, run a Lambda to put something in a bucket. Very nice profile picture very nifty now i don't want people to think that we don't love cloud formation because we love it dearly and the aws <laughs> amplify console now supports aws cloud formation so you can use those cloud formation templates to provision amplify console resources so this means you can have repeatable and reliable web app deployments which is very nifty and the nice thing is this supports application frameworks like react angular view or gatsby i feel like i'm saying more and more fancy words every time we talk about amplify because i keep supporting all these new <laughs> proliferating frameworks <laughs> There's a new JS framework every day. Every day. And there's also been some AWS CloudFormation updates for EC2, ECS, EFS, and S3. Lots more capabilities in terms of attributes and things that you can do. So take a look at those. I'm not going to read the massive list that's there because I think it's time we talk about analytics. Amazon QuickSight has launched multi-sheet dashboards. Uh, so now inside one single dashboard, you can have multiple sheets so you can separate by subject areas or topics and better organize your data visuals. And they have launched two new visual types, gauge and donut charts. Gauge charts are useful for when you want to display a single value within a given scale and are a great way to show performance for key metrics towards goals. Donut charts are useful for when you want to display proportion or parts to a whole, similar to a pie chart, but with aggregate measures within. Mm, um, donut so charts. Each 
one of these. Donut chart. <laughs> I just realised that, that I think, well, the quick site team, you know, donut charts and pie charts. I mean, this is like, is Homer Simpson the product manager? I don't know what's going on there, but it tastes delicious. Sounds like you're getting hungry. <laughs> What's breakfast time here? Amazon QuickSight has also added fine grain access control over Amazon S3 and Amazon Athena. Fine grain access control allows admins of an Amazon QuickSight account to control authors' default access to connected AWS resources and use IAM policies to scope down access permissions so specific authors can only access specific items within the AWS resources. So for example, in an S3 data lake, admins can restrict what data each author or group within QuickSight has access to, thereby securing and providing restricted access to AWS data resources. And there's been a new update for EMR, the Elastic MapReduce service, uh, release 5.24.0. This has performance improvements in Spark, new versions of Flink, Presto, and Hue, and enhanced cloud formation support as well for EMR instance fleets. Now, lots and lots of performance improvements. The ones I really want to call out here is three new optimizations that when you enable them can improve Spark performance by up to 13 times. This is dynamic partition pruning, flattening scalar subqueries, and distinct before intersect. Now, these three capabilities can give you dramatic improvements. I mean, a 13x improvement in performance is a pretty big deal. So that's something you, if you're using Spark, you should have a look at. If you're integrating data, AWS Glue now provides workflows to orchestrate your ETL workloads. So starting today, you can now use workflows to author directed acyclical graphs or DAGs of Glue triggers, crawlers, and jobs. So this means you can create quite a sophisticated orchestration of ETL workloads and you can visually track the status of the different nodes in the workflows on the console which makes it easy to monitor progress and more importantly troubleshoot the issues and you can share parameters across entities in the workflows as well. well Amazon Elasticsearch service has increased data protection with automated hourly snapshots at no extra charge. So now you can increase your snapshot frequency from daily to hourly providing more granular recovery points um, at no additional cost. Amazon MSK is now in integrated with AWS CloudFormation and Terraform. So now you can use CloudFormation to provision Amazon MSK resources in a repeatable, automated, and secure manner. If you're doing video-based analytics, Kinesis Video Streams now has support for dynamic adaptive streaming over HTTP, otherwise known as Dash, and H.265 video. Now, what this allows you to do is to have data coming in and streaming in, and the Dash capability lets you playback live and recorded video from their streams. So developers can now also stream, store, and process H.265 video for playback and machine learning-based processing. So the nice thing about the Dash-based playback capability is it's it's fully managed, so you don't have to build any infrastructure to do the playback of the media. You can simply create a streaming session using the new APIs and leverage web players such as VideoJS or Google Shaka Player, modern web browsers, video players, or even uh, things like on Android ExoPlayer or AV Media Player on iOS that can work with the fragmented MP4 format. This is really cool because there was a lot of fiddling about to make that work in the past, and now it's just an API call. I'm quite jealous. And also, we now have availability of the Amazon Kinesis Video Producer SDK in C. Now, C is important because a lot of devices support that language because they're pretty low end edge type devices and they need high performance language, which C definitely does. Producer SDK in C is specifically useful for building applications for edge devices with limited flash storage, such as cameras used in home or enterprise security. An application built with a producer SDK in C can be deployed to an edge device with as low as 500K of available flash storage, which is, that's a pretty low amount of storage in these days. Moving over to 
IoT, we have a couple announcements. AWS IoT services have now expanded globally and are available in additional regions. So AWS IoT Core is now available in five additional regions, U.S. West, Canada, Paris, Stockholm, and South America. AWS IoT Device Management is now available in five additional regions, U.S. West, Canada, Paris, Stockholm, and Sao Paulo. And AWS IoT Device Defender has now expanded to three additional regions, U.S. West, Canada, and Asia Pacific, or Mumbai. Bluetooth low energy support and new MQTT library are now generally available in Amazon Free RTOS 201-906.00 major. So now you can securely connect your free RTOS devices using Bluetooth low energy to AWS IoT via Android and iOS devices. And you can use the new MQTT library to create apps that are independent of the connectivity protocol, such as Bluetooth low energy or Wi-Fi. And lastly, AWS IoT Greengrass Core 1.92 is now available. And with this release, it has added support for the OpenWRT operating system. Good updates there. Now let's move on to end user computing. Number of very handy updates coming up here. Firstly, Amazon Chime has HIPAA eligibility. So if you have a HIPAA business associate addendum in place with AWS, you can now start using Amazon Chime for your HIPAA eligible workloads. Amazon Workspaces now allows you to copy images across AWS regions. So using the same image across regions makes it simpler to manage global deployments of workspaces, which is your virtual desktop capability, whilst improving consistency, compliance, and security of your workspaces. You simply select the existing one in the existing region, copy where you want it to go, and away it goes. Makes it nice and easy. And Amazon AppStream 2.0 now has support for Windows Server 2016 and Windows Server 2019. So what this allows you to do is to stream your applications using the most recent Windows Server operating system as well. And this is all built into the platform. And finally, AWS Client VPN now includes support for AWS CloudFormation. So lots of CloudFormation updates, this particular update show. You can now use these CloudFormation templates to specify your AWS Client VPN endpoint resources. This is really useful for creating the endpoints, associating the target subnets, creating routes and rules, etc., along with the rest of your AWS infrastructure in a secure, efficient, and repeatable way. But let's talk machine learning, Nikki. Machine learning, there's a bunch of updates here that are pretty exciting. First one, Amazon Comprehend Medical is now available in Sydney, London, and Canada. Amazon Personalize is now GA. So if you heard the announcement of Amazon Personalize at reInvent last year, basically it's a recommendation engine that uses the same technology that Amazon.com uses to help customers create individualized recommendations for users of their apps. So now it is generally available and you can basically give your data to Amazon Personalize, which are maybe clicks, page views, signups, purchases, and so forth, as well as an inventory of the items that you'd like to recommend, such as articles, products, videos, or music. And then Amazon Personalize will process and examine the data, select the right algorithms, train and optimize a personalization model that is customized for your data, and then host and manage the model for use in your application. So you have a fully fledged recommendation engine that is the same technology that Amazon.com uses. That's pretty incredible. It's very cool. And there's a, an update to the AWS Deep Learning Containers. It now has support for Amazon SageMaker and MXNet 1.4.1 with CUDA 10.0. So these are containers that allow you to build machine learning models where you need to get really into the guts of what you're doing. And you can now use these uh, containers seamlessly across Amazon SageMaker, Amazon Elastic Container Service for Kubernetes, self-managed Kubernetes on EC2, the Amazon Elastic Container Service. It gives you lots and lots of flexibility and all the latest platform support. Now let's move on to application integration because there was a pretty big release that I know you covered quite extensively that we want to spend a little bit of time on so that we can kind of demystify what it is and explain how customers can use this. This is something called Amazon Event Bridge. Now this is a serverless event bus that makes it easy to connect applications together using 
collecting data from your own applications, software as a service applications, and AWS services. Why is this so important, Nikki? So the simplest way you can think about this is it's leveraging CloudWatch events. So we took CloudWatch events, we renamed it as a different service, EventBridge, and then we have partner integrations. And this is extremely important because these partner integrations, a lot of customers now use these, these other apps like Zendesk or Datadog or PagerDuty. Now they can have notifications from these other third-party applications or partner apps sent to the event bus and then pick a target and trigger a Lambda or dump it in a bucket or analyze tickets with Comprehend. So if you think about things like a Zendesk support ticket, I'm hitting an event bridge, event bus, and then that target to that event bus is a Lambda and that Lambda is sending that Zendesk ticket to Comprehend and it is analyzing for positive or negative sentiment. And maybe you're using that data and displaying it in a quick site view so you can see how many positive or negative tickets you've received in the last week or so. Um, it's like the power of that is like incredible in my opinion. So, and the really nice thing is if you're already using CloudWatch events, you can now access your existing default bus rules and events in the new EventBridge console as well as the CloudWatch events console. So nothing has to change for you if you're using CloudWatch events existing keep on using it <laughs> and yeah if you're already using it and then if you're just starting to use events you can use the new event bridge service with all of the partners uh, we launched with 90 plus AWS services and then 10 partners on launch day. And if you'd like to be a partner for EventBridge, there's a pretty easy way to sign up on the AWS site if you go to the EventBridge page. Yeah, it's very, very straightforward and there's no upfront cost commitment or minimum fee for using EventBridge. You pay only for the events published to your event bus and also all state change events published by AWS services are free as well. So this is a really effective way to onboard those external and internal services very, very quickly into more of an event-based framework, which I know a lot of application designs are moving to now. I'm currently working on a demo for this, so it'll be in my GitHub later today. We'll have to promote that one once it's uh, once it's ready for those pull requests. And speaking of sort of more distributed systems, AWS App Mesh Service Discovery with AWS Cloud Map is now generally available. This allows you to define a subset of endpoints through matching on key and value selectors that were defined in Cloud Map. So you simply change your App Mesh virtual node configuration to use Cloud Map, add the selectors for the subnet of service endpoints you want the virtual node to represent and register your running services. So this is using IP addresses and metadata with the corresponding Cloud Map service name and namespace and keys and value metadata. When Routing traffic to that virtual node, App Mesh will route to the endpoints that match the cloud map key and value selectors you configured. Sounds complex, but it actually makes life a lot easier because it's letting you map and route information to the right place, which is kind of important. Amazon API Gateway has a couple of updates. It now supports tag-based access control and tags on WebSocket APIs. And we like tagging because it allows you to define your IAM policies and easily categorize your API resources. And Amazon API Gateway now has configurable TLS security version for custom domains. So you can define which versions you want. So you can choose to select TLS v 1.2 or 1.0 security policy as an example. It gives you a lot more flexibility in what you want to enforce in the environment. Now let's move on to management and governance because Nikki, there were some uh, some big announcements around there too to make life easier for customers. So the first one is introducing AWS Systems Manager Ops Center to enable faster issue resolution. So the AWS Systems Manager, as you know, is an operational hub for AWS and hybrid cloud deployments. They have announced the launch of an Ops Center to help 
help you view, investigate, and resolve operational issues related to your environment from one central location. The Ops Center presents operational issues in a standardized view, along with some relevant data to help with the diagnosis and remediation of them. And you can associate AWS Systems Manager automation documents for easier remediation and also specify deduplication logic to filter repetitive and operational issues. And we have announced service quotas. Uh, so this is a very interesting announcement where you can view and manage your quotas for AWS services from one central location. So we do have quotas for certain services so that we can you know, provide our customers with high availability and high performance in their accounts. And now you can see, view and manage those quotas easily and at scale as your workloads grow. So quota, if you're not familiar, is the maximum number of resources that you can create in an AWS account. And you know, we make sure that we have those so that your account is highly available and reliable. Yeah, and let's we provide that service all of our customers. Yeah, and it lets you set those limits so that you don't go crazy with things uh, once you realize, wow, I can create as many EC2 instances as, as I want. And then you're like, why did you let me create a thousand instances? And so the, the quotas are in place and they're soft quotas. So you can have them changed according to the workload that you have or the policies you have in place. And what this does is it allows you to see them all in one place, which is kind of a nice thing to do if you're trying to track them. Speaking of seeing things in one place, AWS budget reports is a new thing as well. So starting today, you can create and send daily, weekly, or monthly reports to monitor the performance of your AWS budgets. So using the new AWS budgets reports console, you can easily select the subset of budgets that you'd like to include in your report, define the delivery frequency and specify your email recipients. So for example, you could say, uh, show me all the budgets for linked accounts belonging to a particular business unit and send that each morning to that business unit's engineering product and finance leaders. So this lets you understand what's going on and allows you to set those custom budgets that will alert you when your cost or usage exceed or are forecasted to exceed, which is probably more important, uh, your budgeted amount. So there's full visibility in terms of what your spend is doing and what it might do in the future, which is very nice. Another new update. It's really uh, important. It is, it really is. And there's been a bunch of uh, important updates around CloudWatch, haven't there? So maybe walk us through some of these. There's, there's just so much. <laughs> yeah, there's so much. Uh, so CloudWatch has released uh, anomaly detection uh, now in preview. So anomaly detection applies ML algorithms to continuously analyze system and application metrics, determine what is a normal baseline, and then surface anomalies to you. So you know when anomalies are happening, you can isolate and troubleshoot unexpected changes in your metric behavior. You can apply anomaly detection on metrics in your account, including custom and AWS service metrics, and it will automatically determine a range of expected behavior, which you can optionally customize by specifying data exclusion periods, anomaly sensitivity, and daylight savings time zones. This is and very then you can cool. create alarms to notify you yeah. when those anomalies occur. This is really cool because monitoring is all about normal, 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 something weird happened, normal, normal, normal. And doing that at scale is hard for a human, but easy for a machine. So this is going to be one of those things I think that's just going to make operations life so much easier. Agreed. And, you know, maybe you did get that 3 a.m. call, but you got it and you know exactly what's going on and you can fix it immediately. Yeah, exactly. Amazon CloudWatch has launched dynamic labels on dashboards. So you can now have richer context on your dashboards, which means you can more quickly identify anomalies in system health and performance. These dynamic labels provide data summaries over the time window represented in the chart and update automatically as the chart is refreshed. So for example, if you add average and maximum dynamic labels for CPU utilization across EC2 resources, you can see those uh, anomalies at a glance. So you can see a, a lot of the work that's being done by the 
team is to make it much easier to understand what's going on in your environment and also figuring out the cause. CloudWatch has also added visibility for your .NET and SQL Server application help. So they now support application insights for .NET and SQL Server loads, which enables observability into those application stacks, sets up and analyzes important monitors from across your application resources to discover anomalies or problems within your applications. For issues, to detect issues, it will create CloudWatch automatic dashboards to visualize problem details and help application owners to troubleshoot faster and reduce their mean time to resolution. And CloudWatch events now supports Amazon CloudWatch logs as a target and also tagging of CloudWatch events rules. So now you can log all the things that are going on in your CloudWatch events and you can tag those rules appropriately because as you can imagine with the power of CloudWatch events rules, you might have a lot of rules. So you probably want to tag them and keep track of them, which is pretty nice. And the CloudWatch team didn't leave it at that. They've also uh, introduced Amazon CloudWatch Container Insights for Amazon ECS and AWS Fargate in preview. And this allows you to monitor, isolate and diagnose your containerized applications and microservices environments. So with this preview, DevOps and systems engineers have access to automated dashboards summarizing the performance and health of their ECS and Fargate clusters by tasks, containers and services. So you can get up and running really, really fast, which is pretty nifty. AWS Config now enables you to provision AWS Config rules across all AWS accounts in your organization. So they now support a new set of APIs to manage AWS Config rules across your organization in AWS organizations. And using this new capability, you can centrally create, update, and delete AWS Config rules across all accounts in your organization, which is particularly useful if you have a need to deploy a common set of Config rules across all accounts. You can also specify accounts where Config rules should not be created. In addition, you can use these APIs from the master account in AWS organizations to enforce governance by ensuring that the underlying config rules are not modifiable by your organization's member accounts. A couple of updates for Session Manager. It now launches Run As to start interactive sessions with your own operating system user account. So now you can define the operating system user account that an interactive shell uses on an instance. And you can assign this to your IAM principal user or role for Session Manager. So this makes it easier to manage shell privileges for multiple users that need interactive access to your instances. It also has launched support for SSH and SCP tunneling. So now you can move traffic between a client and a server more easily. SCP is often a very handy tool to move things across. Uh, often you need a, an intermediate host to make this happen. With SSH protocol tunneling using Session Manager, you do not need an access server or open an inbound port for SSH-based access and SCP-based file copy. So this reduces cost and improves your security posture whilst using SSH and SCP. You can now use IAM Access Advisor with AWS organizations to set permission guardrails. So the AWS IAM Access Advisor uses data analysis to help you set these guardrails confidently by providing service last access information for your accounts, organizational units, and your organization managed by AWS organizations. Permission guardrails help control which services your developers and applications can access. And by analyzing the last access information, you can determine the services not used by IAM users and roles and implement permission guardrails using service control policies that restrict access to those services. And lastly, AWS Resource Groups is now SOC compliant. We like a bit of compliance. Let's move on to customer engagement. So we now have AI-powered speech analytics for Amazon Connect. Now, this is a solution that provides customer insights in real time and helps agents and supervisors better understand and respond to customer needs so they can resolve customer issues and improve the overall customer experience. So this solution includes pre-trained AWS artificial intelligence services that are now enable customers to transcribe, translate, and analyze each customer interaction in Amazon Connect and presents this information to assist contact center agents during their conversation. 
it. So this is really nice because it's helping you see the tone and the tenor of the conversation to give you hints about what you might want to do to help that particular customer. It really helps that customer experience. Similarly, Amazon Connect now launches contact flow versioning. So this makes it easy to preview, modify, and publish past versions of a flow with just a few clicks within the contact flow designer. You can also roll back between a saved or published version very simply so you can review how a flow evolved over time, see how it's previously configured, which helps you experiment. Now, in the past, you could only revert to the last saved or published version, which meant you couldn't track changes as easily. So this makes it a lot easier to operate. Couple announcements in the media topic. AWS Elemental Media Connect now supports SPEKE Speak for conditional access. Uh, so they've added integration with Speak for key exchange with conditional access systems partners. Speak stands for Secure Packager and Encoder Key Exchange and is an open API specification that streamlines the way cause systems integrate with Media Connect. Using this feature, you can now encrypt live video shared using entitlements and fully control permissions for content sent to your distribution partners, which enables you to build complex distribution workflows with more granular and sophisticated conditional rights management, including time-based access, blackouts, and many other rules-based requirements. AWS Elemental Media Live also has now added support for AWS CloudFormation. So you can now use CloudFormation to create and figure AWS Elemental Media Live channels to deploy Media Live resources in a secure, efficient, and repeatable way. And lastly, AWS Elemental Media Convert now ingests files from HTTPS sources. So you can now ingest video files from both HTTP and HTTPS sources with the ability to transcode content from sources other than S3 you are no longer required to build logic to copy files into S3 in order to use Media Convert, and it's available at no additional charge. I like that price. Security update time. AWS Certificate Manager Private Certificate Authority now supports root CA hierarchies. So you can create a private CA hierarchy, which includes the root and subordinate CAs. Now, a CA hierarchy is a way to organize CAs that provide strong security and restrictive access controls for the most trusted root CA at the top of the hierarchy. So having that the top means you have much more control over how you manage your trust chain. This is kind of an important thing when you're talking about security because it's all about trust and we now support root CA hierarchies. Now, speaking of security, AWS Control Tower is now generally available and supported for production use. Now, this is a service that's intended for organizations with multiple accounts and teams who are looking for the easiest way to set up the new multi-account AWS environment and government at scale. With AWS Control Tower, cloud administrators get peace of mind knowing that accounts and their organizations are compliant with established policies while builders provision new AWS accounts quickly and in just a few clicks. Now, this is really important because there's always this sort of tension between I want to move really fast and do stuff and I need compliance and management. And this is kind of the, the happy middle ground, isn't it, Nikki? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there are so many people that are creating multiple AWS accounts to be able to create AWS account instantly with all the policies and governance that you need for every single account and, and repeat that over and over again very quickly is uh, super efficient and just awesome. And you were at the Reinforce conference, weren't you, which was all about security. And I think uh, I probably a big topic of conversation was the GA of the AWS Security Hub. Absolutely. The Security Hub, if you're not familiar, basically aggregates, normalizes, and prioritizes findings from many different AWS services, including Amazon Guard Duty, Amazon Inspector, and Amazon Macy, and 30 AWS partner security solutions. So a Security Hub will bring these findings together in a single dashboard and consolidates them in an easy-to-understand and actionable graphs and tables and correlates findings across providers to help prioritize which resources require remediation actions or troubleshooting further. Um, so basically it'll help you do things like data forensics or inspection of your AWS services and account, but across all of the different services that are bringing alerts and notifications 
to the security hub. It's pretty awesome. It's very nice. And AWS single sign-on or SSO now makes it easy to access more business applications. So it includes new applications such as Asana and Jamf and over 200 built-in application types. So very easy to integrate there. Let's change the topic completely and move on to gaming. Let's have some fun. So uh, Amazon GameLift now supports large matches. So when people want to play multiplayer games, they want them to be fast and full. But having a consistent and fulfilling matchmaking experience can be really tough for developers. So large match support for Amazon GameLift is an update that allows you to match and connect up to 200 players to a single game session on the lowest latency server instance available based on custom rules that you define, plus a whole bunch of other really, really fancy features that make this easy. This is a classic case of taking something that's really hard and making it easy. And speaking of which, there's also an update to Lumberyard Beta 1.19. And the reason why I want to mention this is because I've always wanted to say that there's a new dynamic vegetation system in the... Which which sounds bizarre. I mean, I I grew up with like really block-based type games and now we can uh, procedurally generate a diverse and detailed biome in minutes instead of manually placing and painting in vegetation. Lumberyard's new vegetation components support a wide range of artistic expressions and fine-grained control over the scale, density and distribution of your biomes. You can improve runtime performance by configuring segments of vegetation to be placed or removed at runtime based on player location and gameplay events. Now, I'm joking a little bit about this, but things like waving grass and the like that that's really hard yes it is you can basically create like one of the amazon spheres virtually yes well, that's, that's there's your weekend biome. project. There's your weekend project. <laughs> and just moving on to a quick update for AWS Marketplace. It now integrates with your procurement systems. So this is a new feature that allows you to use Cooper, which is a leader in business spend management to find, buy, deploy, and manage thousands of curated third-party software listings in AWS Marketplace. What this means is that when a builder is ready to purchase the software they need, they just subscribe to complete a requisition request directly in Cooper. And once a request is approved, their builder is automatically notified that they're subscription is ready to deploy. So this means that we're tightening not just the identification process of finding things you want to use and the deployment process, but the purchasing bit, which in larger organizations can be a long drawn out process. This makes it completely automated. I love this one because it really expands the freedom of developers in large organizations. So previously, you know, you might have a few people that have IAM permissions to install third-party software in the AWS marketplace because you had to get approval. And now you can expand it to every single body, every single person in the organization because when you request to download or install something from the AWS marketplace, you just get redirected to procurement, go through the approval process, and you can come right back to your AWS account and install it once it's been approved. And our final set of updates for today, it's been a monumental session, is in the topic of robotics. And AWS Robomaker announces support for ROS or Robotic Operating System Melodic. Now, Robomaker is something that a lot of my colleagues have been playing with, interestingly enough, with their children, because this is a service that makes it easy to develop, simulate, and deploy intelligent robotics applications at scale. And this uh, support update supports ROS Melodic Marina, which is the latest long-term release or LTS for ROS. And what this allows you to do is to build very, very uh, sophisticated models in a very simple way. And you can build it both virtually and physically. And there's kind of a delight, I think, Nikki, in terms of building something virtually and then watching a physical manifestation of that take place. Totally. Have you seen any of these robots that your friends have been building for their children? They're, they're not ready to show them. What what they've been doing though is they've been, they've been, what's been interesting is that they've found that they were they wanted to encourage their kids to code because it's it's an important life skill, I guess, in the future, but they were having fun. Yeah. It was, and it's fun. And they were, but they were having trouble kind of um, doing something meaningful enough or something visible enough to maintain that engagement. Whereas what they found is by having the robot, it meant, Hey, I'm doing some code 
virtually and I'm seeing stuff happen. So when you're, when you're eight years old, that's kind of a big deal. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, watching it come to life. Definitely. Now, the last but not least update is not a, a service update, but I wanted to, to make a call out to one of our listeners. So astute listeners will know that we have a, a, a nice little bit of music now at the start of our episodes and, a, and a, a cool little intro. And that was actually created by one of our AWS podcast listeners. So a big call out to Ryan Rafferty, who developed that himself, composed it himself and gave it to us uh, to use on the podcast. So it's pretty nice when when listeners do that. So uh, it was much appreciated, wasn't Props it? Props to you. Yeah, absolutely. He did he did well. He got some he got some AWS podcast swag to to, to recognize that. So if you see him see him around, give Ryan a big high five for that one. So Nikki, we've we've covered a lot today. It's good to have you back uh, in your new Nikki Stone guys. So um, welcome back, and uh, hopefully our episode cadence will improve in terms of our updates. So we don't have to spend an hour going through updates. We can break it up a little bit more. But certainly something for everyone today. That's for sure. Yeah, extremely long list of updates, but there was some really, really cool ones. I hope that you listen all the way to the end. Fantastic. And thanks everyone for listening. We do love to get your feedback. AWS podcast at amazon.com. Nikki, where do people find you? They can find me on Twitch most times of the day. (laughs) You kind of live there, Uh, don't you? Yeah, you can DM me on Twitter also if you have podcast feedback or anything that you want. Uh, also, Ryan, you should specifically DM me and I'll send you some AWS credits for creating the AWS podcast intro. Uh, even better, even better, even better. That's pretty cool. And so until next time, keep on building.